how much do you love us? This was a question that was rather frequently asked by my brothers and I as we spoke to my mom and my dad. How much do you love us? We were often intrigued to see the response that they would give, and often we were also able to see a bit of a struggle. Now, it wasn't because they were confused by the question, or it wasn't that they were lacking in any sort of love, but rather they were struggling to adequately describe how much they loved us. And so often they would come up with all sorts of answers. But even if they hadn't, even if we had never asked the question, I dare say that my brothers and I would have never had any doubt how much we were loved. We could see them every day. They sacrificed for us. They cooked, they did clean, they did all sorts of things. They went to work to provide. They did all sorts of different things that were concrete signs of how much they loved. Ultimately, they were filled with sacrifice. We could see that on a daily basis. We almost didn't need any word of affirmation whether or not they loved us or even how much they did. And it's very much the same, I dare say, with any of us, that oftentimes with individuals in our life, whether it's our friends, our family, or even if it's our mom and dad, so often we don't need to really ask how much they love because we see those signs, those visible reminders of how much they truly love. But what about it when it comes to our Lord and God? Are we so confident in his love for us? Are we able to say with the same level of confidence and assurance that, they love, that he loves us just the same as our parents or our friends or our family does? As I dare say, my brothers and sisters, the world is full of evidence that he does. But are we so ready to assert that? We start off this morning and we hear from the book of Exodus. So we're told that the Israelites are wandering around the desert of Sinai and they stop at the mountain. That mountain is often that place of encounter where Moses goes up and he meets with the Lord and he communes with them to speak about some matter, to get some resolution, or simply to hear instruction. And we hear that instruction today. Because he goes up the mountain and the Lord tells him to go tell the house of Jacob and all of the Israelites about this dichotomy. What is the dichotomy? The dichotomy is the way that the Lord deals with the peoples of the earth, specifically the two different parties that he is addressing right now, the Israelites versus the Egyptians. He tells the Israelites that he has placed them on the wings of eagles. But what has he done with the Egyptians? Well, the Egyptians have always been filled with arrogance. They've been filled and blinded by their own power, so much so that at the end of the day, whenever they're crossing the Red Sea to try to recapture Israel, they are largely cast into the depths of the sea. So we see these two different opposites. The Israelites are living on the wings of eagles as high as they can go, and yet the Egyptians are cast to the very depths as far down as they can go. And it shows the Israelites something important that the Lord is dealing with them in a special way, that he has a special affection and love for them. And so he wants to remind them of that reality. But it's not a reality that they can receive blindly. But instead he wants to remind them that they should hearken to his words, that they should keep his covenant, and then they will be dearer to him than any possession, even the entire earth that he created that the Israelites are given this special pride of place, this special privilege, and yet the Lord wants them to choose that election, that he wants to show them how important, how special they truly are amongst all the different nations in the earth. And yet he wants to remind them that they have to choose that election to be that nation of priests and a people holy to the Lord their God. So he's reminding them of that re the reality, and he wants Moses to speak to that reality as well.
We move on and we hear from St. Paul in his letter to the Romans, and it's a beautiful laying out an exposition on exactly what the Lord our God does, especially through Jesus Christ. We, in fact, might recognize this reading from a few weeks ago during the Easter season because it is about the Paschal Mystery. That Jesus Christ came, and when the appointed time drew near, that he suffered death for those that were helpless. Indeed, all of us, including the Church of Rome at the time. And he suffered that because he wanted them to have life. And he goes through, and he suffers for the sake of the ungodly, so that they might become like God. That even though they had no way of approaching or even becoming worthy of this mystery, nonetheless, he wanted to provide for them anyway. And St. Paul really wants to lay out just how powerful a testament this is. Because he goes through, One might die for the sake of the just man, but with difficulty, perhaps even for a good person, if they have enough courage. How much more courage would it take to die for the unjust and the ungodly, for the bad person? Then, in fact, he wants to remind us of the magnitude of what Jesus is doing. That he's not just dying for the good people. He's not just dying for those that appear just. But even the ungodly, even those that choose to live far away from the Lord, he dies for their sake as well. So that in the chance they might choose to live for him, that they will have salvation. They'll have justification through the blood of Christ. And indeed, we boast in Jesus Christ because of that reality. And St. Paul comes back to this theme all the time, not boasting in ourselves, not boasting in our chosenness, but boasting in Jesus Christ and what he has done, how he's come, how he suffered and died so that we might have life. That if he suffered death and he gave us life because of that, how much more do we have because of his resurrection and his life that he gives us? And then we finally move on and we hear from the gospel according to Matthew. At the very beginning, we hear a witness of what happens to Jesus, that he is affected by the crowd that comes before him. That we're told that his heart was moved with pity for those that he saw, because they were troubled and afraid, that they were abandoned like sheep without a shepherd. Our Lord sees this, and what does he do? that he's filled with so much compassion that he begins to speak to the disciples. The harvest is abundant, but the laborers are few. Ask the master of the harvest to send out laborers for his harvest. And then he does just that. The Jesus, he calls out all of the disciples that are there, all of the 12 that are in these privileged positions, these positions that are close to him, and they've been following him since day one. He calls each of them by name. Notice, he's very aware of them, that he tells even their relation, even how they're related to one another, perhaps what they've done before and where they're going, that he's aware of what they are and who they are, and he calls them because of these things, not in spite of them. So he calls them by name. He calls them by their very identity. And so we move on and we see that as he calls them, he gives them instruction to go out, to drive out demons, to cure the sick, to cure all of those ill and infirm with every sort of disease, and to proclaim this simple message, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That they're to go to every land and every place, but specifically at this time, they're to focus on the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But nonetheless, eventually that message expands and they go to all of the nations and every land and every people. But notice this last line. Without cost you have received, without cost you are to give. 
But Jesus is very aware that all of the disciples have a past. They've had to receive something from the Lord. They've received in, if nothing else, a calling to follow the Lord their God. And so he wants them to go forward and to remember that in their hearts and their souls, that they have been given a tremendous gift, but they're to go forward and to give that gift as well. But we hear all of these different things. What is our mind instantly attracted to? What is the central theme amongst all of these different readings? Well, we might go immediately to that missionary work. We hear about St. Paul and how he's speaking, maybe Moses. And then we hear about Jesus, how he's sending out the twelve, and he knows them by name. And we think about that missionary spirit and zeal that he calls them to go out with. And indeed, that might be true. That we see the ways that he's calling them to go out, to cure the sick, to drive out demons, to proclaim the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And we might think to ourselves of how we're being called to go out and to proclaim that same mission. And indeed, it might be so. That we are indeed called to be a missionary people, to be disciples that go out and proclaim that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, to tell the truth of the gospel to every land, every nation, and every place. That we've been called, the very fact we're sitting here this morning, it tells us that. That we've been chosen individually by our identity, and we've been sent forward. But there's a problem. What are we going to preach? How are we going to proclaim the kingdom of heaven is at hand? Should we grab the most lofty theology we can find, perhaps a few good quotes from the catechism, maybe a few quotes from the saints, and we call it a day? Should we go forward and proclaim all those things? Well, perhaps those would be a good thing to grasp onto eventually. But I dare say the Lord Jesus is looking for something else. He's delving deeper into our reality. He wants to look in our hearts and our souls and see what's there. Because when he sends out the disciples, he doesn't tell them, go and tell them the most lofty thing, the highest intellectual thing that you can remember, the biggest piece of theology that you have. Go out and tell that thing. That's not what he's saying. Rather, he says, without cost you have received, without cost you are to give. He wants them to go out and tell the very same things that they have received, the ways that they've been called, the ways that they've been captivated by the Lord their God, by all of the different things that he has told them. And indeed, he wants them to go forward in that way. That he doesn't want them to tell the gospel in an impersonal way, as if it's a list of facts or something of a textbook knowledge, but he really wants them to tell the way that they've received it, the ways that they have brought it into their hearts, the ways that they understand, that he wants them to go forward and to tell about all of those things. Maybe that's another level, but I dare say there's one that's deeper yet. Because the reality is, in our day and age, we look around and we understand how hard and how difficult evangelization is. That we look and we wonder, why is it so hard and so difficult now when the disciples were going out and they were converting thousands upon thousands? Why can we not convert so many today? Why does it look like the churches are largely empty and we're struggling to gain more members? What happened to the body of Christ? While there's many different answers that we can give, I dare say, my brothers and sisters, there's one more thing that's more powerful that we can speak of that's a part of our reality and a part of our wheelhouse, but it exists around this question. How do you understand God's love for you? Do you believe that you have a Lord that loves you? Because, my brothers and sisters, I don't think we think about that enough. 
We don't understand that. Sometimes we hear that God loves you, and it's a nice slogan to put on a t-shirt, perhaps a Hallmark card, but do we really believe that we have a God that loves us, that came, that suffered, that died, even in the midst of our depravity, even in the midst of our worst moments? The Lord Jesus saw us, and he loved us individually and personally. Because, my brothers and sisters, many times we hear about the love of God. We say it, that God is love. We hear that God loves you. And we hear that all the time. But do you and I believe that fact? Do you and I believe that Jesus Christ, when he looks out at us, when we're afraid, when we're troubled, when we look like we're abandoned, that the Lord loves us all the more during those moments? Or even in the moments of despair, even in the moments when we feel like the Lord has abandoned us, that life's handed us too much, that our luck has run out, and that every bad thing that seems to come our way, it just simply seems to come, and there's nothing that's stopping it. What are we to think? Do we still believe the Lord loves us? The gospel tells us he does. Because my brothers and sisters, faith isn't just for the good moments. God's love doesn't exist just to give us good times in this life. But it especially exists for the bad moments, for the moments when we wonder, when we're tempted to despair, when the moments when we don't know where to turn, we don't have the answers, that the Lord our God is always there. And that he's sending people into our lives to continue to renew that faith that we should have. That even in the worst moments that we've got support, we've got understanding, but most importantly, we understand that the Lord our God loves us. But my brothers and sisters, if you don't believe that right now, what's blocking it? What's in the way? Why do you not believe in the Lord's love for you individually? Or why are you struggling at this moment? Are there too many things going on? Does it seem like you're just too busy right now? Does it seem like we have too much to handle? Or it just seems like because of all of the bad things that have happened, I just can't be certain anymore. Because my brothers and sisters, our Lord Jesus Christ is always here. And he pays attention to us not as a corporate body, but also each individually that he wants us to be aware of that love that he has. He had love for the Israelites in Moses' time. He had love for the Romans in St. Paul's time. And he has love for the disciples and each and every one of us in the fold of the church today. That especially in the bad moments or the moments that we're tempted to doubt or wonder or even think that God has abandoned us, that he is here. If you doubt, do you have the courage to ask him to show you his face? Do you have the ability to ask him to show you his presence in your midst? Do you trust him enough? Are you vulnerable with him enough to say that if we're struggling in faith, if we're struggling with belief in that love, are you willing to go to God the Father and to ask for that gift? Because my brothers and sisters, sometimes we're not bold enough. But if we are willing to go forward, I dare say we need that. We need that reassurance ourselves. But we also are given power and we're given a message that has so much more magnitude, so much more power and potential that we can go forward and evangelize a people and a world that largely needs to hear that message. That we've always witnessed those visible signs of those around us, those relationships that are important, that show us that they love us, whether it's friends, family members, perhaps even our mom or our dad. That we've been given all sorts of signs, all sorts of wonders and witness and testimony to those facts. The Lord our God might seem a little more challenging, but my brothers and sisters, I dare say if we're more vulnerable, if we are more bold and courageous in asking for that witness, for that testimony, that belief and that faith, that we have the love of God poured out in abundance on our hearts, then we will be filled to abundance with that love. And that's really the core of the message that we're given today. 
But I also want to take a moment to step off to the side because this is Father's Day. This is a moment where we celebrate the gift of fatherhood. But it comes at a time, I dare say, whenever masculinity at itself is under attack in our day and in our age. That oftentimes it's labeled as something that's toxic, something to be done away with. That fatherhood or manhood is largely something that is seen as a sort of illness or something to be done away with. But my brothers and sisters, true masculinity, true identity of a father, it comes not through any sort of other character other than Jesus Christ. What do we see in Jesus Christ? If we're living out fatherhood, if we're living out true masculinity and that true identity of who we are, then we're going to live out what St. Paul is talking about. That we're going to live out that spirit of self-sacrifice. That we're not going to be a tyrant. We're not going to be a sort of person that rules over other people and lords over them ruthlessly. But rather, we're going to be a people gentle of heart. We're going to be leaders. We're going to be a people that continue to lead others and to what we fundamentally and most importantly pour ourselves out. That we need strong men in this day and age. That we need men that are like Jesus Christ, that are continuing to pour themselves out, that are sacrificing, that are strong, but are leading others to the cross and are leading others in a very beautiful and very powerful way. So to all the fathers out there, today is your day. Today is a day of celebration, but it's a day that we continue to embrace that gift of masculinity, that gift of fatherhood, recognizing that identity. It's not something toxic or not something to be done away with, but it's rather something that brings us into configuration with our Lord Jesus Christ and his example, that we should always be seeking to strive after Jesus Christ and his model for us each and every day. That's not something to be done away with, but that's something to be continuing to be married to or continue to be striven for so that we can truly be the men of God and the men after Christ's own heart. Whether you're a father, a father-to-be, or even a grandfather, spiritual father, no matter what you are, you're called to be Christ. You're called to be strong in your masculine identity, but you're called to be a man of sacrifice. Brothers and sisters, today and every day, God reminds us of his love. Perhaps we struggle, sometimes we might doubt, but nonetheless, the reality of the scriptures is here, that we should continue to be witnesses and we should continue to experience that love each and every day. If we're not, we should be willing to ask for it and to be bold and to be vulnerable in asking for that gift of God's grace. Jesus was moved with pity for his people. Let's be reminded of a God who has pity for us and has an undying and unabounding and overflowing love for each and every one of us.